A very happy new year and welcome to this week's Belltel Rugby. Somehow we've been renewed for another year and if the events of New Year's Day are anything to go by then we could be in for a big 2024. Not to put too much pressure on one result of course but I think we kind of have to after a win over Leinster but we'll get on to that. We've lost Neve Campbell but fortunately only for one week as she is out sick and we hope she feels very be- better very soon. You made it sound like we didn't know where she was though. <laughs> it's, it's a new year and Neve's just disappeared like um in her stead it is myself adam mckendry taking over hosting duties for one week and one week only jonathan bradley sitting opposite me as you've already heard hello jonathan hello adam how are you i'm very good how are you i'm good i'm good i'm back to work yesterday feeling refreshed so yeah johnny was off last week and having a wonderful time just taking the festive period uh nice and nice and easy but of course as soon as you go ulster pick up one of their biggest wins of the season yeah, that was it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to take a few more weeks off? You know, like maybe this week and sort of around May, June time? Like, is it... Yeah, to be fair, it hasn't always gone as well for Ulster when we've taken weeks off. So uh, that was that was a rarity that they, that they uh, I was going to say surprised everyone. Maybe that's, maybe that's not fair, but uh, achieved a result of such significance while I wasn't here. I have written down, you, you are riding the crest of a wave after the Packers made it into the playoffs. Yeah, packaging the playoffs. I was over at the Spurs game last week. They're through to the fourth round, so a great sporting weekend all around without any uh, without any rugby on. <laughs> it is rare to have an Ulster weekend with no rugby this early in the season. Yeah, it's a strange season just with the um, with the World Cup, obviously, because everything felt very condensed to start the season. You had that 11, 11 games and eleven weeks run, and now we're, we were talking earlier just before we started recording. We've got the a dying week last week, two massive games obviously over the next fortnight that we'll we'll get to and that we're looking forward to. But then you've got a month before Ulster play again after that and everything becomes very um, sort of staccato and depending on European progression could become even more sort of stop-start in the spring as well. As anybody who listened to our podcast a couple of weeks ago will know, I got very confused by Ulster's upcoming schedule. So if I make any more blunders about when Ulster are playing over the next few weeks, uh, don't blame me. I'm, I'm just a bit confused about dates and things like that. Um, but there is plenty to get on uh, into on this first podcast of 2024 from a huge Champions Cup tie against Toulouse on Saturday to a quick look at which Ulster players might make it into Andy Farrell's squad for the Six Nations. I know we're a week early, but we don't always know when uh, Faz is going to name his squad. So we figured we would do it this week instead. Uh, but first, we are a week late and apologies for no pod last week due to a combination of scheduling and illness issues. But we have to start with a quick look back at that win over Leinster at the RDS Arena. Johnny, you were off, but uh, knowing you, uh, you would have watched the game anyway. What, what did you expect uh, going in, and what did you uh, what did you think of the performance? I was watching it despite it being my wife's birthday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was, a very happy birthday, Christina. We're yeah, so sorry. I, I was able to carve out the two hours to watch the game. So. <laughs> what did she think of that? She was fine. Uh, you know, she'd, she'd had the other 22 hours of the day, I suppose, so. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting game tactically. I suppose it was interesting to hear. I suppose Billy Burns afterwards shouting out Dan Soper for the game plan. I think the stat was what three tries from twenty-seven seconds in the in the in the Leinster twenty 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 or in in the Leinster twenty-two. Um, really interesting to see the way that they came in. Obviously, having recognised, I suppose, what they saw as holes in the uh, what's still a work in progress. Obviously, with the Nienaber defence at Leinster, you know, he's he's not been there that long, but it is, and I think you probably saw that in the Munster game as well. It is a really aggressive defence. It's similar to what we've seen with South Africa. You know, it's up and in, but what it does do is leave space out wide if you can get there and. Ulster really exploited that getting there very quickly with the kick pass. And, you know, they could have had another one as well because it was the one that was out to Mike Lowry where he just cut inside and just couldn't uh, couldn't make the line. It's uh, a result of huge significance when you look at it in the table because Ulster are now back up to fourth. In a lot of ways, it negates the damage of that Edinburgh loss because it puts you sort of on track points-wise where you would have expected to be, I think. Um, we can talk about, you know, the lack of bonus points throughout the season 
meaning that uh, there is still a bit of a gap in terms of not wins and losses, but in table points to the teams ahead of them. But um, if you look at where they could have been after that round of games compared to where they are, you can absolutely see that this was a win of real, real import beyond just keeping the momentum rolling. Because it's funny to think the conversations that we were having and that everyone was having three weeks ago when they'd lost three games in a row. And it looked like, you know, they were in danger of dropping out of the top eight of the ERC. They've been hammered first up in Europe. So you're thinking, are they going to drop down to the Challenge Cup? Are they even going to drop down into the Challenge Cup? And then all of a sudden now, you're talking top four. You're like, this goal for the second half of the season really has to be, or the second half of the regular season really has to be to stay there. And as we'll come on to, everything's open to them in the in the Champions Cup pool because Toulouse and Bath will still have to play each other. Those are the two teams that are ahead of them. Um, now they could <laughs> still end up in the in the in the Challenge Cup depending how results go the next two weeks. But um, there's an awful lot of fixtures to look forward to. There's an awful lot on the line in the next two weeks and they can go into these European games feeling relatively good about where they are in the ERC table as well. Just to give a bit of context to the ERC table, if Ulster had lost and we'll say they would have gotten the bonus point because we're going to say that they lost if Leinster had scored during that period of uh, pressure sort of late in the second half. They would be down in eighth instead of fourth and all of a sudden things are looking not quite so rosy um, it's amazing how one result can change things but I think even more than that it was the manner of the win which was that Ulster answered a lot of questions that I think people have had of them yes the line out still conti- continues to be a massive question but defensively I think we all had a lot of questions and especially in that second half they really stood up to a lot of pressure from Leinster and people can talk about Jamison Gibson Park's decision making in throwing that long pass that Luke Marshall picks off but you've also got to give credit to Ulster's defence for holding them out, for being strong and putting them into that position if Leinster felt like they were getting ground by just going for the short passes and going through the pick and drives then they would have continued to do that, he felt he needed to mix it up and that's down to Ulster's defence, now was it the right decision? No, but it's down to the Ulster defence for being resolute and holding them out and that's been a big question of Ulster is that do they have the physicality and the strength to stand up to a team like a Leinster like a La Rochelle or one of these big teams and at the RDS they proved that the answer was yes uh, which is something that they really did need to almost prove to themselves not just to us but to themselves and they did so in a big way now Equally, you do have to put the result in a little bit of context, which was that Leinster weren't at full strength. They didn't have a lot of their starting pack in particular. But any win down at the RDS is a big win, especially for an Ulster team that traditionally have been better at the RDS than they have been for that prolonged period of time at the start of the noughties and into well, the 2010s. The thing, because they've now won... Two of the last three, and sh- we should be talking, bearing in mind the lead they had and we're playing against 14 men, we should actually be talking about a side that's won the last three in the RDS. So I don't know if, uh, I don't know, next season do we still call it the, the boogie <laughs> ground? Is it, is it still the fixture that uh, everybody looks forward to least? Maybe not. Maybe not. I, I don't know. I, personally, I still think you look at the RDS and think this is the hardest game of the season that you're going to face. But maybe you're right. Maybe it has changed. Maybe now Ulster just... We, we always talk for so long about Ulster, this team not having any scar tissue from the previous Ulster teams that made it to the Heineken Cup final and the... Uh, what was it back then? The Rabo final? Or was it still Magners back then? I don't know. Uh, one, one of the two. And, you know they didn't have that scar tissue. They're almost creating all these good memories of their own at the RDS that maybe it's just a ground that they now enjoy playing at. Could be. Like, I mean, they're bound to have a worst record at Scottsdale recently. Very true. Although a lot of teams are having bad records at Scottsdale now, so it's not a... It's not an Ulster-centric thing. That's true. <laughs> Plus, I suppose you don't have to go to Scottsdale every year either. Yeah. Are you jumping on the hype train of this is a result that can really springboard Ulster on? Are you trying to keep it a little bit more tempered? I don't even think it's 
that result. I think it's the three-game winning streak whenever their backs were to the wall, whenever it really didn't look like they had a three-game winning streak in them, especially given the teams that they were playing. But also the way that they've found different ways to win against different opposition in three consecutive weeks because we were talking an awful lot about the attack. We were talking an awful lot about things not clicking. But I suppose whether you want to include the set-piece moves as part of the attack is up to you. You know, the the five-meter taps, whether you want to count that as attack or set-piece is up to you, but whatever. Um, the kicking in, in the RDS, it's all points to a team that feels an awful lot more comfortable in what they're doing than the impression that we got in the early couple of weeks when no matter what they were trying to do wasn't sticking. Now you make the point of the line-out. Yes, and the line-out is a perfect example of where there is still big room for improvement. I suppose the flip side of that is it's uh, impressive to be able to win a game, <laughs> any game, regardless of who you're playing in this day and age without a line-out. Um, which has been a real struggle that they've had throughout the season. You know, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about them having the worst statistical line-out accuracy in the ERC, and it hasn't got much better um, in the weeks since. So there's still an awful lot of ground to cover. There's an awful lot that they can get better at. But really, beyond the fact that they were dragging themselves across the line in the opening weeks. There wasn't an awful lot beyond that to point to. Um, well, maybe, I suppose, individual performances, if you want to cite somebody like David McCann, to be fair. But this, whenever you're looking at the collective, feels like things are starting to click more. And I think that's why you can point to a level of encouragement. Now, as I'm sure Ulster will probably say later on today, whenever we're at the presser, if they don't continue things over the next two weeks, then that again changes the perception. Like I know Dan McFarland has been very um, measured throughout the season, whether things have been going well or things have been going badly, to say that he's the one that needs to look at the big picture. He gets paid to look at the big picture. But if we're talking about the outside perception of the season, and bearing in mind that three weeks ago, a lot of people were looking, um, maybe even in other sections of the Irish media, would have been looking at us and being like, what's going on? You know, what is going on with that team up there? Um, now, the perception, and again, it's up to you whether you think the perception matters or not, the perception of what Ulster are doing is now a lot more positive. But it flips again if they uh, lose these next two games and end up dropping into the challenge, or even if Cardiff get a surprise result, maybe going out of Europe altogether. I don't think it's going to happen. But um, I was going to say I didn't think this was going to be another Cardiff slating podcast. <laughs> we've done, the, we've already done that podcast. Yeah, let's, just, let's put them to the side. Just a series of drive-bys against Cardiff um, <laughs> this season. They'll, they'll be glad <laughs> for the European <laughs> season to end. Um, but I think, and we, we know this year on year on year, we see this. Like, if you have a European fixture to look forward to, it changes how those entire January, February, March months are treated, how they're viewed. Because it's just such a, a big event to look forward to. You can maybe make the argument that with the last 16, it's been watered down somewhat to whenever you were looking forward to a quarterfinal because the quarterfinal is obviously inherently a bigger deal than a last 16 game. But I think if you come out of these next two weeks and we're sat here on the 21st of January or whatever it is and we're looking at who else they're playing in the next round, it's just it just provides an energy to the second half of the season that will not be there if no disrespect to the Challenge Cup we're talking about dropping down into a second-tier competition. Well, just remember the lack of excitement around the Challenge Cup the last time Ulster were in it, which was, yes, you got knockout rugby to look forward to, but you knew that Quinns and Saints weren't going to be putting out full-strength teams, and then you hit Leicester, and I'm going to use the word vitriol. You know, like there was so much frustration and upset that Ulster did not go on to win that competition. No, no that, that's 100% it, because it's... It's the only time where you're actually under pressure, I suppose, in Europe. Because if you if you drop into the Challenge Cup, 
then it's almost seen as you have to win it. And then you're under pressure to win it. Whereas at the stage that Ulster are at, I suppose you can make the argument that the stage Ulster have ever been at, like have Ulster ever been expected to win the European Cup? Obviously going into the 99 final. But between the semi-final and the final was the only time anyone ever expected Ulster to win the competition that year. So the Challenge Cup, and especially that year, not winning it became (laughs) such a big thing and it became part of... Well, really, I suppose the start of the narrative that this wasn't a detachment from the previous sides that had failed to win trophies because here was an opportunity for Ulster to go and win a trophy and they didn't do it and they weren't, no disrespect to Leicester, they weren't beaten by a better team, which had been the case, you know, in, say, the 2020 ERC final or whenever they got beat by Toulouse in Europe. So it can be almost quite damaging in multiple ways to drop down into the Challenge Cup because it creates almost... uh, I suppose some people might make the argument that that to have the pressure of winning trophies shouldn't be a bad thing, but it creates this like, oh, well, we better win this now, (laughs) otherwise people are going to be... People are going to be throwing pelters at us again, you know? Mm. To get back to to the Leinster game... (laughs) Billy Burns was obviously singled out as, as having a great game. And I thought it was very interesting listening to his quotes afterwards. You've already mentioned him picking out Dan Soper and, and praising what they did with the attack. But especially what he said about Jake Flannery and talking about how he's never had a better fly half partner in terms of somebody pushing him on to try and be better. I wonder if that's something that Ulster have maybe been missing over the past few years, which is genuine competition at 10, so that Burns is not automatically guaranteed that starting fly half jersey anymore and that there is somebody actually pushing him on. And it was really great to see him bring that kicking game back into into the light because it is something that he has, and he admitted this afterwards as well, he's gotten away from. And he didn't sort of elaborate whether it was tactically or yeah, whether it was he, his Yeah, I think own. he said got away from for whatever re- for whatever reason. Yeah, so there there wasn't sort of an admission that it was something that Ulster as a team were trying to get away from or he was trying to show that he had other strengths to his bow, but it is a strength of his game and whether it's the short kicking game where he's just chipping it over the over the on-rushing defense for the first try or whether it's kicking crossfield for the other tries that's something that is a very strong part of his game and it's something that Ulster perhaps should be trying to lean into a bit more. All right, it it does make you look like you've only really got one way to score tries, but we know that Ulster aren't afraid of that given that they scored 90% of their tries from Malls last season. But whenever you've got that in your arsenal, why not use it? Yeah, absolutely. And the competition thing has been really noticeable throughout the season. So Flannery has started four games of the nine that they played in the ERC. Now, Burns started both European games, but um, I suppose it's the it's the commitment to engendering that competition as well, because Ulster have said multiple times over the last couple of months that in pre-season, they made a conscious decision that they were going to give Flannery more of a crack, because we've all spoken in the past about how Burns not even a knock on him whenever he's playing well, but there are times when he's looked injured and has still been playing, you know? Um, and that speaks to a lack of competition, not even saying that the players that were there weren't good enough, because, you know, in somebody like Ian Madigan, you're talking about somebody that's got 30 caps for Ireland, you know? Um, but I, I suppose it's just that commitment to grow the group, to grow the panel to ensure that the rest of the panel has the confidence in the backup, which is only going to be gained through reps and training, is only going to be gained through minutes and games. And we've seen that this year. So, no, I agree I agree, I agree with you. I think it was, um, it definitely caught the ear to hear Burns say that he's never had that because he's now been here six years. Mm. Do you think he has taken this game to another level this season? I mean, I think... Um, it's another one of those things, like, whenever we're talking about Ulster in general, like, how excited can you be off the back of 
that performance against Leinster as a collective or for any individual because it's now all about backing it up. So it's one of those things, and I suppose it's the nature of media as well, but like, you know, he plays really well against Leinster in the RDS and a big Christmas Interpro, and he's been asked afterwards if he thinks he's going to go back in the Ireland squad, and it's... Way to ruin my next question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, you know, it's a case of go and do it this week against... um, against Toulouse, going to do the week after against Harlequins, get your team into uh, possibly even a home knockout tie, sustain it over a period, and then, and I admit that it is hard to sustain over a period when they've been rotating through the tenure. It must be hard to get into a rhythm, but taking your game to the next level for me is over a longer period than even the sample size that we're dealing with here, you know? Mm. Before we get on to the Toulouse game, because I feel like that does lead us in nicely to the Ireland squad debate, and not necessarily just Burns, but only because we have mentioned it there. Um, we'll talk about that before we get on to what is a massive game against Toulouse this weekend. Um, Andy Farrell will name his Six Nations squad. We're expecting it to be next Wednesday, but it could change. Uh, so that's why we're going to do it this week instead of on next week's podcast. Um so I suppose from an Ulster perspective, we'll start with the guys who were in the squad for the World Cup. Rob Herring, Tom O'Toole, Ian Henderson and Stuart McCloskey. I imagine we're expecting all four of them to be back in again for the Six Nations. Yeah, we don't exactly know the size of the squad. So the size of the squad could be a little smaller traditionally sorry, than the wider training squad that was originally announced for the World mm-hmm. Cup. You're um, well, there were 33 went to the World Cup. Yeah, so 33 so went to the World Cup. You normally get 36, 37 yeah. for a Six Nations squad, but you don't get the, say, the 42, 43-man panel that you had assembling for the wider World mm-hmm. Cup squad. Um, so I would say those four, yeah. I don't see too many drastic changes from the 33 that went to the World Cup beyond... Keith Earls is obviously retired, Johnny Sexton's obviously retired, and then Jimmy O'Brien and Dave Kilcoyne and Mac Hansen are injured. Mm-hmm. So Peter, Peter O'Mahony's still yeah, sort yeah. of fifty fifty at the moment. And we think we think James Lowe will come back in to play for the first time since the World Cup um mm-hmm. this weekend. So I think Kane Healy is a obvious person to come back in for Dave Kilcoyne, and where it gets really interesting from an Ulster perspective is obviously those back three injuries that we mentioned. So you've got Hansen out, Lowe hasn't played, Hugo Keenan is Hugo Keenan, so you've got no, no, no concerns or worries there. And then if you look at that, you're essentially missing two of your four back three players from your matchday squads plus James Lowe completely lacking in match minutes. So the person that I think really stands to benefit here is Jacob Stockdale. Like Jacob for me has had a good season. He's been back amongst back amongst the tries. He's got six um six tries in ten games for Ulster so far this year. Um including the one against Leinster, which was a great pickup in uh, difficult conditions. Um I know he still had a few moments defensively where maybe he's fallen off tackles but I actually think his reads have been really good for the most part I, mean, I, th- I think you do have to take a little bit of the rough with the smooth whenever it comes to stock deal he is probably Ireland's best try scoring winger but you do have to accept that he isn't the strongest defensively and you know he, he has improved drastically and I do agree with you I think his reads are better um but I think you will still have those moments where you're looking at it and uh, you just have to accept that that's the trade-off you make with him. His kicking was really important in the RDS. P- people always underestimate Jacob Stockdale's kicking. He has a cannon of a left foot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now, I'm, I'm surprised he doesn't kick for touch more from dead ball situations like penalties for the corner because he could get you a lot of yardage, especially from kicks from like his own 22 or something like that. I, I understand you maybe want a bit more finesse with Burns or Cooney or, or whoever you want kicking for the corner in the 22 or something, but for a, for a clearing penalty, for want of a better word, like surely Stockdale's got a got a good shot of 
taking you maybe beyond the halfway line or something. No, I do think that's uh, that's a good shout because you saw, especially when they were sort of under the pump and they were trying to clear from their own lineouts, so they were trying to clear off their own scrums in their own territory. Like Stockdale is the player that they go to mm. to get distance. Um, so it is something that now I'm sure they've probably had the idea themselves, and maybe there's a reason why <laughs> why why they don't do. But um, the interesting thing with this kicking is going to be obviously if James Lowe is fit. Like, we all know that Farrell likes to have one left footer in his team, but I wonder the balance if you have two left footers um, in your back three because we've seen Jacob play in the 11 jersey so much, but we're really talking about the 14 jersey being free, which is where we have more often than not seen Rob Balakun play. Rob Balakun's form hasn't been what Jacob Stockdale's has been for Ulster this year. Um, and then you're probably throwing, I would say, Jordan Larmer into the mix. Calvin Nash was having a good season for for Munster. Um, so there are an awful lot of options there, but that's the area to me that feels the most unsettled. And then if you're looking at going from 33 to, say, 37, 36, 37, one obvious extra position that you're going to have is another back rower because to me they went light in the back row to the World Cup mm-hmm. No I, w- I would agree with that too and that I, th- I think I understand where you're going with this but Nick Timoney has yeah. been really good over the last sort of month month and a half for Ulster Yeah exactly so you've got Timoney in a really really competitive area for Ireland because you've also had Will Connors come back who is probably viewed as more of a pure seven, I suppose, even though... um, And that's something that they were maybe looking for, that replacement for or cover for Josh van der Flyer, even though Connor had actually started big games ahead of Josh van der Flyer sometimes this Mm. season. And Kim Prendergast has been really good as well. Yeah, I was going to say, he's he's the one who was sort of closest to going to the World Cup that didn't. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, So that's going to be a battle for probably one position there I would say being added to a 36-37 man squad. Well you also have to bear in mind that O'Mahony might not be fit so there might be two jerseys available Uh, and in which case I I think if you're Timoney and there's two jerseys available you're unlucky if you don't make it in I think if there's only one then I wouldn't be surprised if Prendergast got the nod instead. Because I think we've seen one thing with Farrell over the years, which is that he does very much have that core that he likes. And, you know, if you just miss out in the World Cup, you are next in line to get in for the Six Nations. And, you know, as as it goes on, but it, it really does take something special in order to leapfrog you up the pecking order. And as good as Timothy has been, I don't think he's been a good bit beyond Prendergast in the last five months since it was, sorry it's not five months since the World Cup but since the World Cup I don't think Timothy has been head and shoulders above Prendergast to leapfrog him but I think he would be very unlucky not to get into the squad if there were two back row jerseys available uh, but yeah I, I wouldn't say he's a lock to get in the get in the squad yeah um, I'll, I'll throw out a couple of other names here just to see if uh, if there's anybody else that you think might get in. We're, we're expecting Rob Herring is going to be in the squad. Do you think Tom Stewart makes it in? Yeah, because I think they might have they might bring an extra hooker. And again, exactly to the point that you were making of being close, staying with the squad until the very end of that mm. World Cup preparation cycle. Um, I could definitely see I could definitely see that. Well, we, we know they like to bring up guys to just train with the squad they're not officially in the squad but they train with the squad and may as well be part of the squad but uh, I think Stuart still kind of falls into that bracket you know even though he is now a very established senior player he's still a young senior player so he could still come into that kind of we're bringing in for experience kind of angle yes there's absolute value in having him there for Mm -hmm whatever it would be, three weeks, and then releasing him back to Ulster to play against the Ospreys. <laughs> the, the usual, we're th- we thank you for your time here, but you're away off, off the, to Swansea. You're away <laughs> off to Swansea. <laughs> there were a lot of rumours going around that that was the game that the Ospreys were going to move to London. That would have been yeah. an interesting one. Um, when was the last time Ulster would have had back-to-back games in London? Because their game before that would have been Quinn's. Yeah, that's right. Um, 
They did play Saracens in quite close succession with a game getting cancelled in between, but I don't think there were... No, they wouldn't have been back-to-back. No. Um, Kieran Chadwell? Yeah, I mean, again, you're talking about a, an added player. So if you get... Because the four locks are the four are the four locks, mm. and we'll probably come to debate that more um, in the coming weeks because Joe McCarthy has been so good. Huya and James Ryan has had a good season. Like Henderson has been uh, Ulster's best player over the last couple of weeks, and then you've got Tag Burn. So who <laughs> who drops out of that? RG Simon quartet, you know, <laughs> out of that uh, out of that quartet. Who's not making a match day squad because they're not mm. all doing it. Um, although I suppose you could theoretically, and again, this maybe ties into Omani, you could have Byrne in the back row. Um, yeah. But then you've got Ryan Baird in there as well. well that's it as well. Like Ryan Baird's been holiday. having a great season. Um, and even, you know, you're talking about players that you bring in to have a look at. You know, Thomas Ahern has to be right, uh, right mm. there for that, where again, you're in the squad, you're training with the squad, you're not necessarily going to play, but um, it shows how close you are probably as the next cab off the rank as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I could see Treadwell, but it's not in the sense that I think he's going to oust somebody who went to the World Cup more in a... It will... An awful lot will depend on the uh, dispersion of those extra, if you like, in inverted commas, places from the 33-man yeah. World Cup squad, which is, I suppose, really 30 names when you take in... Um, Sorry, less than 30. Whenever you take in the injuries plus retirements, you're talking about 28. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I think for for pretty much the reasons you've just outlined, I think there's just going to be too much of a a squad crunch that he's not going to get in. I think Ahern could get in as one of those extra players along with Stuart. I think that's where he comes in. Um, moving into the backs, uh, Nathan Doak... He hasn't started any of the big games for Ulster recently, which I think will stand against him. Yeah, exactly. Um, he hasn't got past John Cooney. Yeah, and I I'd, think... I'd say I'd say Cooney as well. Throw Cooney into the mix, but I think by this stage we we just think he's not getting in. Yeah, I mean he's he said that himself, but I mm-hmm. think for Duke to get in, and we like we've talked about it before, the Farrell doesn't necessarily put too much faith in provincial packing orders, but I think. Um, I think for Duke to be talked about as an Ireland international, he's, he has to be ahead of Cooney, I think. Yeah. Uh, you've already mentioned him, but uh, nearly your colours to the mast, Burns? No, I don't think so. Uh, I will agree. And who would you have as the as the three uh, fly halves? I think he, if um, Ross Byrne is fit, I think he has Crowley... Ross Byrne and probably Kieran Frawley as his third. And I think if Ross Byrne isn't fit, I think Harry Byrne becomes the third, probably. Mm. What about Jack Cardy? Jack Cardy's had an interesting season because he had sort of fallen out of the Connacht mm. team behind JJ Anron. Um and then the way I even saw some people talking about JJ Hanrahan as a as a possible <laughs> return to the Ireland squad, you know. Um, it's been a lot of push for Zebu to get in the Ireland squad. I, I know we're kind of veering away from Ulster here, but I, I just find it interesting that Simon Zebu's being mentioned in dispatches. Yeah, well, I mean, he had good performances in high-profile games. Mm. I personally don't see that happening. I think it would be. <laughs> Fascinating if it did because he's been out of the Ireland setup for a long, long time. And yes, there's been a couple of injuries, but it would be if you think about all these people that we're talking about, all these people have been in under Farrell at some point. Mm-hmm. So there's Ireland under Farrell are a very, very different team to what they were whenever Zebo was last. And it's not to say that you can't pick it up, but. Um, you would be starting from square one. I also think what works against him is his age, which is that ultimately, even though you are trying to pick the best squad right now, and Zebo might be part of the best squad right now, he will also be 37 by the time the next World Cup 
rolls around and realistically I cannot remember the last time a 37 year old winger slash fullback went to a World Cup as part of a top tier nation. You're you're about to say somebody at last year's World Cup. No, I was, was, was thirty seven. I but. was just thinking whenever you said that. Like I wonder is there anybody that I could throw out off the top of the head? Um, certainly not back three. I mean, yeah, you know, you can say. I mean, Ben Smith would he have been that old whenever he went to his last World Cup? I'm going to look him up now. If you hear typing, I, I am on, <laughs> on the laptop looking this up. No, he's thirty seven now. He was, <laughs> so he would have had to go to the. Yeah, to to the World Cup just yeah. gone. I, whenever you said that, I was like, that's a good shout. But uh, four years, right? Yeah. So yeah. So uh, look, he he could, he could get called up, you know, for this Six Nations. Do I think he would be a long term call up? Like this would be the start of him being in Ireland squads long term moving forward? No, I don't. I think that it would probably be a one, maybe one and a half year thing, and then um, that would be it. Uh, We've already said about Stockdale, we think he's going to get in. Um, James Hume is probably the only other one who I would sort of outline as maybe having a shot at getting into the squad, although his recent injury might have hurt him a little bit in that he didn't play in that Leinster game. Like he's, He has been much better. He's bounced back from that sort of second season syndrome that he suffered last season. But And he, he was particularly good against uh, Rassling, which I think will have really raised a few eyebrows do you think he's done enough to work his way into the Ireland equation or not quite? I think that he has the injury is really really badly timed mm-hmm. we'll hopefully find out later on today um, how how serious that is hopefully not because Ulster would obviously really like to have him <laughs> back for, uh, for Toulouse as well um, I think if we had been talking pre-injury, I think I would have had him in there. But again, you're talking about not displacing somebody that went to the World Cup either because the four centres are all of such high quality. Mm. And then, But I think it would be good for James to get back into that mix, you know, um, even if it is as the fifth centre. Yeah. And look, it's, it's never bad being in the Ireland camp. Like, even if you're not playing, it's a good thing to be down there and keeping your hat in the ring and, and letting Farrell see you whenever you're in training. but Especially when, like, we all, we all talk about the Six Nations squad as in it's like, a, and the pecking order is as if it's a cut and dried final thing. Like, Ireland mm. could easily lose six or seven players mm. more through injury through the tournament. They could lose players over the next two weeks in high-intensity European games. Like, you can go from being seemingly fifth-choice to playing very quickly. And you know rightly there are going to be uh, changes for the Italy game, as there always are. Yeah. So, like, you know, Tom O'Till last year is a perfect example. Like, Tom O'Till ended up playing in all five games last year mm-hmm. as notionally the third choice tight head. You know, there are... The nature of sport, but specifically the nature of rugby and specifically the intensity of the Six Nations in a small window... It allegedly may even become a smaller window in future years. We'll see. But that means that Ireland are going to need an awful lot more than their 23, you know? So to to kind of sum this up, uh, I guess, we're going to say O'Toole makes it in, Herring makes it in. Are we giving Stuart a full call-up or a, a development call-up? We'll kind of... I'm saying full. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I think it will be full, but I, like it will be, again... There could be there could be injuries, but I think it will be he will be a part of the squad, but it will be as the fourth choice hooker. A non-playing call up. <laughs> um, Henderson's going to make it in. I'm saying no on Treadwell. You're saying yes. I'm going to say yes on Treadwell because I think they'll have an extra lock in there. Okay, so we're going to and I think Farrell likes him. So we're going to make him a half. Um, Timoney. Timoney's the one we're both really on the fence about because we don't know exactly the situation with Omani. I think Timoney, I'll make the distinction, I think Timoney deserves a call-up, but I think he plays in the worst position <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to get that call-up. Yeah. Because I think just on the basis of Prendergast having had a good season and Prendergast having been um, so close to making it to the World Cup, I think we see him coming into the mix, assuming that, you know, Omani's fit. 
Yeah. I'm going to say... I'm going to say he does make it because I think, oh man, he's been injured for too long. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think, oh man, he's going to be called up into the squad at some point. But I think Timoney makes the initial squad at least because I don't think Omani's going to be there. Uh, Who do you think is going to be captain, by the way, if you don't think Omani? Because... Now, there's a great shout or a great question. Um, I suppose we've seen Henshaw holding the captaincy for Leinster, James Ryan. You're you're talking about you have to have somebody there who is the he is a guaranteed starter, you know. So, for example, you you would have Henderson in the mix, but he's not a he's not a guaranteed starter. And at international level, I think you do have to have somebody who is a nailed on starter to be your captain. Yeah, you can't you can't have like a a club captain as it would be that no, doesn't that doesn't play. Like. Exactly. Like I I know some teams have a club captain who is maybe someone who is more of a spiritual leader in the dressing room but I don't think that quite works at the international level so you're probably looking at Ryan Ryan Henshaw Ringrose I would say are probably your three guys who would put their hands up see I'm not even convinced that O'Mahony would be captain even if he was fit only because again you're trying to get somebody to be captain who's not going to be handing over the armband in two or three years' time. You know, you want this person to be at the next World Cup. And are we entirely convinced that Peter Omani is going to be at the next World Cup? Well, no, I don't think that he will be, but... So do, do you... You know, I think it's easy to forget that we didn't know or even think that Sexton would be at this World Cup when he got named as best successor. Mm-hmm. But then... Like, I take your point as well. You know, there's an awful lot of rumours that, you know, Omani's going to be coming off a central contract at the end of the year. And uh, without delving into the central contract debate, because that's been well covered over the last um, couple of weeks by other people, it stands to reason that obviously you would have your captain on a central contract. Yeah. Um, and look, personally, I don't think there's any room for sentimentality within captaincy. For for, for one-off games, you know, like if somebody's making their final appearance, like if, if Omani says, I'm retiring tomorrow, but I'm going to play against uh, France or whatever, I understand sentimentality of making him captain. But for... The CJ standard principle. The CJ, <laughs> CJ standard principle. But thinking, so Northern Ireland football do it all the time as well. Like if, <laughs> yeah. if guys are making like their 50th cap, just yeah. give them the armband, you know, that makes it even more special. Like they're not actually captain, but you know, just give them the armband. Yeah, like imagine uh, if Ulster did that. Like uh, there's somebody making a milestone appearance every week. Like. Uh, just just give them the cap and say like, who cares? Um, but from an Ireland perspective, I would say what you're thinking with your captaincy is you want somebody in that role for the next four years. Uh, at, I, at, I, at I, least. I don't know if I agree because I just think I think we have to get away from viewing everything through the prism of the World Cup because the World Cup, as the last World Cup has shown, especially in an Irish context, it can just come down to uh, you end up playing a really good team on the day and you get beat. You know, you're a really good team. There's another really good team and you just compete. Like, there's so much between World Cup cycles that I think we should uh, cherish and there's so much between World Cup cycles that I think um, is really the essence of Test Rugby. And we're going to be getting away from it anyway because, like, you know, we've got really the final proper summer tours coming this summer and stuff and... um, I don't know, I just think everything that Ireland has done in the World Cups hasn't worked. So viewing things as a four-year cycle, um, building from one World Cup to the other, I, I just think they have to get away from that. So I, personally, I would pick whoever the best man for the job is, but like, it's not cut and dry either on... You know, James Ryan became Leinster co-captain um, this year, and there's certainly been... Uh, mixed returns on that if you go back to uh, the La Rochelle game if you like now there were mixed returns on Sexton's captaincy in terms of his dealing with referees in the early stages of his test captaincy so it's not to say that you know we should look at what's happened at Leinster over the last couple of weeks and the co-captain idea is a bit uh, silly anyway um, whenever 
they're both playing. Mm. And so, you know, Kubiakis is throwing the baby out with the bathwater here, but um, I wonder if that has sort of played into the decision, bearing in mind that it's been, you know, they're going to have to name somebody in the next 10 days because somebody is going to have to <laughs> be announced as the captain when the squad's announced and then obviously go to the Six Nations media launch as well, which will be the week after that. So. Yeah, I, I do find it interesting that Omani has stepped down as Munster captain. Well, and see, that whether... was, yes, that was my thing because that, you would think, is the precursor to, or it could be reading reading between the lines and adding two and two and getting five, but you would think that is the precursor to somebody thinking that it's too big a job to be both. Potentially, yes. I mean, look, I do think Peter Omani is the best man for the job right now, but I think you do have to look at somebody who... I, I, I don't think you want to be looking at this squad as let's World Cup or not. I think you don't want to be looking at this squad as we're going to select a new captain and then in two years we're selecting another captain and then in two years we're selecting another captain. I think you want someone who has a bit more longevity. And look, we all know that in rugby careers can be ended like that, or they, you know, someone can have a nosedive in form and you can't pick them for your squad because they're just not playing anywhere near well enough. But I think you want to try and foster some kind of longevity with the captaincy, which is why I would be not looking at Omani. I would still have him as part of the leadership group and as a very valued voice within the dressing room. But I think if you're wanting an actual to give someone the captaincy, I think you would want to be looking at somebody who will have more longevity, who will be able to hold on to the role for... And like whether you want to put the number at four years or three years or five years, just somebody who you think is going to be there and part of the squad for more than just, you know, the next couple of years. I, I feel like you want that kind of consistency within your leadership group. Yeah, I mean, I suppose on the basis of that argument, you might go Dan Sheehan. You know, that's the, <laughs> that, that's the natural uh, connection there of a player who is world-class, could be the best in his uh, position and is going to be in the team for 10 years. Gary Ringers is only uh, 28. Um, so I guess that could stand to Ringers. It, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was Ringrose, by the way. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. Like I, I, I would have it somewhere with one of those three Leinster men, Ringrose, Henshaw, Ryan. I mean, look, maybe there's guys who show leadership qualities that we haven't even talked about. Like, maybe, maybe you do want to give it to someone who's not a captain at their province because you don't want to make it a, a big thing of having multiple captaincies upon a player. But you know, some guys can deal with that. Some some guys can't. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a big call because it's a huge rule more so than in any other sport because it does have you know you you make the joke about Northern Ireland it does have more of a tangible impact on the actual game than in other sports Mm. but it is also a big rule with everything off the pitch as well because you're never not the Ireland captain in anything you're doing in your day-to-day life and that's a different kind of pressure and a different kind of responsibility, I think, to just being an Ireland international. And whoever fills the role knows they've got to have all those sexting comparisons because no matter how much you try and downplay it, people will make sexting comparisons. The same with the new fly half. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually think that's more difficult for the fly half, especially Mm -hmm. if the fly half is a long-term successor or looks to be a long-term successor, if you like. So basically, if it's Crowley, I suppose, is what I'm saying, and I think yeah. that it should be and will be Crowley. Then I think he will have to deal with the talk of Sexton because of the age that he is, and because of how long he could theoretically be in a ten jersey that has been held by really very few people for a long stretch. Because there was an overlap between Humphreys and O'Gara, and an overlap between O'Gara and Sexton. Mm. So to get back to the Ulster question of well, that's how it. many like, guys are going to be in the yeah, squad. if we don't think it's going to be Henderson, um, then, <laughs> then from an Ulster podcast perspective, does it really matter? <laughs> um, so we're sort of 50-50 on Timoney. So Treadwell and Timoney will make one player together. So we're currently up to 
Uh, very really interesting player. Or, would be a very interesting player, uh, indeed. A lot of athleticism in a, <laughs> in a forward. So that's four forwards, we're going to say. Uh, it could be three, it could be five. Um, we're going to say McCluskey makes it. We're going to say Stockdale makes it. And what are we saying with Hume? Yes or no? I think Hume will make it fitness pending. I'm going to agree with you. So that is three players in the backs. So we're going to say Ulster are going to have somewhere between six and eight players. So we'll settle on seven. That's yeah. a right bang in the middle. I mean, the person that we haven't spoken about is Balakoon, obviously. Uh, I'm just going to be honest. I don't think he's shown enough over the course of this season to get himself into the mix. I mean, I think you're probably looking at there only being two spots in that back three and I don't think Balakun has been in the two best back three players in Ireland this year I think Stockdale has but well sorry there's three unless you're saying I suppose Stockdale is a definite I suppose would leave two because don't forget that Ireland is retired as well so Uh, well do, do you think he makes it in Faz does like him I probably don't think that he makes it in again I agree with you I don't think he's sorry I don't think he's shown the form but it is worth remembering that whenever Mark Hansen who is I suppose ostensibly the person that we're talking about replacing him whenever Mark Hansen started his first Six Nations game two years ago everybody presumed that it was going to be Balakun starting that game you know Again, we're talking about somebody, and I know I've said this a lot, but we're talking about somebody who two November ago was starting in the Aviva against the Springboks, you know? Mm, very true. Uh, but I think we're both going to say he's not going to make it in this time, so we're going to stick with seven players in. But that'll be interesting to keep an eye on at, uh, at Andy Farrell's Ireland squad announcement next week for the Six Nations. It'll come round before you know it, the tournament. I mean, not the squad <laughs> announcement. The, no. squad, the squad announcement is exciting in itself, but the Six yeah. Nations is uh, slightly more exciting than not that. Not next week will come around <laughs> sooner than you think. Although it is January, so to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what will come around quicker than we think? Uh, this Saturday when Ulster take on Toulouse in the Champions Cup. Massive game at Ravenhill. Another wonderful 8 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. Who decided that, huh? Um, I suppose thanks, BT. Um, or TNT, is there known now? Um, we've talked about it already. The biggest thing for Ulster here is they've done a lot of the heavy lifting by beating Racing, but it matters not if they don't back this up. And you would say that this is probably a tougher test than what they faced against Racing. Yeah, I mean, domestic form has been quite similar. Toulouse's domestic form away from home hasn't actually been great, but... That, that's a classic French team, though. Like, yeah. I've, I've, Even if you look at the selections, so the selections for the La Rochelle away game, which was their last away game, yeah. is obviously very... Uh, very French when you compare it to uh, the sides that went out against uh, Toulon and then more recently Lyon at the weekend. Yeah, because I, I was trying to look ahead and sort of see who uh, who Toulouse were face, or sort of favouring in their squad because, of course, you, you go on to... I'm, I'm just looking at Wikipedia here, their squad, and on, on Wikipedia they bold all the international players and it's just like bold, 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 bold all over the place. Like every single one of their props bar their two... Uh, sorry, three academy guys are all internationally capped. Like, that's just the standard that you're talking about here. So I was taking a look, and it's amazing how much their selections waver from week to week. But I suppose you could say the same about Ulster this season. Like, Ulster have made sweeping changes between their home games and their away games. Yeah, and you look at the amount of players that Ulster have used, and I think it was, again, maybe we're talking with the benefit of hindsight here, but when you look at where Ulster are, in terms of being sort of where we, I was going to say expected, but probably even hoped. Like, I don't think we probably thought Ulster would have been doing any better in terms of the table at this stage in either competition, really. Um, That's probably something that's paid dividends. We hope will pay dividends with a fresh squad come the run-in, which is probably something that we didn't think that Ulster had last year. Um, whenever we got to that quarterfinal against Connacht, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But 
you look at the team that played Leon, you look at the way that they played uh, against Leon, even just <laughs> in terms of the bare numbers of the score against Leon. Um, and you can tell that this is obviously a huge challenge. Now, the thing with it is, Toulouse have done a fair amount of the work that they need to do already. And it's a very different team, obviously, but when you think back to that, you know, Toulouse team that uh, was full of big names that came to Ravenhill um, during Les Kiss's time, what was it, 38 nil? 38 nil, yeah. <laughs> Um, that was also in a World Cup year, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. And it also featured a few Billy Burns crossfield kicks. Would it? No, that would have been before that, would it? No, it was Pinar. Sorry, that was Pinar. Remember, he, he picked one off up, up off the back of the ruck and just crossfield kicked it straight from the back of the ruck. And everyone's yeah, like, where yeah, did that yeah. come from? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm thinking that game was 2015. I could be wrong. Sorry, I'm I'm getting mixed up with. Uh, I I just remember a crossfield kick, and every crossfield kick that has ever happened in Ulster's <laughs> history is now just associated with Billy Burns for me. Like it's, it's just because they're never not playing to lose. If they <laughs> if they say they play to lose more than they play ERC teams, uh, pretty much. Um, I think one one of the other things that we're actually starting to overlook is the fact that if Ulster win this game at the weekend, with Toulouse playing Bath the following weekend you are in a very realistic position where Ulster could backdoor their way into a top two finish in the group. Yeah. And that would get them, I don't know if it would guarantee them, but it would get them very close to a home last 16 tie, which would be massive because Ulster haven't had a home last 16 tie. Well, sorry, they've they've had two-legged, but, you know, they, they haven't had, like... They've won home advantage for a last sixteen tie in the single leg format. Yeah, because obviously they've ended up playing like if you think about the, the knockout games that they played, it was away to Leinster, away to Leinster, away to Toulouse, two legs against Toulouse. Yeah. Um. So they've they've always had an away game to navigate in the last sixteen. Yeah. Now you could have a situation where you're playing a one-game shootout against another another team that you do feel like you would back yourselves to get into the quarterfinal from there. Which would be a huge achievement because mm-hmm. they haven't got into the quarterfinals since uh, obviously there's been those last 16 ties, um, which are still European knockouts. But if you think about the European knockouts traditionally, you're thinking about quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and I think that would be huge. Like Again, it's not something I think that we really spoke about whenever the draw was made because you look at Toulouse and you look at Racing and you think they're going to be the top two teams in the pool most likely um, and also again again Cardiff we talked about how <laughs> Ulster were up against it because they didn't get to play Cardiff um, but yes the way that results have gone with Racing um, obviously losing twice and Harlequins getting beat at home, having lost a home game already, I was because I was reading about this yesterday for today's paper, and it was that quite stark how anything could happen for Ulster in the remainder of this pool. You know, there's there's nothing that's off the table yet. Uh, just some injury news for the game on the Toulouse side, uh, and I am going to botch these pronunciations as I always do, so I apologise in advance. Uh, Dorian Aldegheri is back the French international tight head prop Roman Intimac is doing limited training so I don't know if that means he's going to be sort of back this week or if he's still sort of in limited training but he's getting there and we'll, we'll go on to talk about one player in particular uh, to go with Intimac um, and the other one was Thibaut Flamont is still out the French international lock Antoine Dupont even though he was pictured training with Sevens, uh, or on Sevens duty last week, or start of last week. All the the days are running into one for me right now. It was definitely Uh, before the Leon game anyway. Yeah, but then he came back and played the Leon game and led them to a 45-mil win. So he is available this week. Uh, It's always good to see the best players in the world coming and playing in Belfast. So as much as I think a lot of people might have wanted him to not be available, uh, I, for one, I'm glad that he is available. Uh, But... You know, 
how do you think this game sort of plays out for Ulster? I think, not to sound cliche, but an awful lot is going to depend on the Toulouse approach. I think what Ulster need to look to do is to replicate the way they started against Racing to get the crowd into it, to what is going to be a first sold-out crowd since November 2022. Um, big. It just feels so traditional, if you know what I mean, and that's why it's sort of, it feels like I'm leaning on cliches, but this feels like such a traditional occasion. Winter night, it's going to be freezing apparently. Big star-studded French visitors coming to Ravenhill, sold out. Um, and I think it would just, it feels like a really, really important game because I think it would just, sort of as we touched on earlier, I think it really would tee up the winter into the spring if they were to get a win. And I think then regardless of what happens in the stoop, I think it would consign an awful lot of the worries from those from that three-game losing streak. Like, it does feel like Ulster have stepped away from those anyway, especially with the RDS. But to beat a side like Toulouse, to do it at home, to all but ensure European progression, I think would really be a sort of full stop, um, full stop on that. There will obviously still be plenty to work on and plenty of questions about lots of different areas. But I don't think we'll be harking back to the three-game losing streak and think, you know, comparing it to the year before, that sort of thing is what I mean, you know? I was going to say, if... Like, let, let's let's be honest here. Ulster have not been perfect over the last month. It's not like they've been playing lights-out rugby and um, everything's been fantastic because there have been issues with the line-out. Their defence has still been a wee bit leaky. It, it looks so much better against Leinster, but there have been moments where you've thought that's not the greatest bit of defending. Do you think any of that matters if they go on to pick up two more wins here? Or are you going into the spring thinking Ulster oh, kind of, it's, it's a false dawn if the performances aren't great? No, because I think there has been more good than bad mm-hmm. in these performances um, for sure. I would, I suppose, be somewhat wary of maybe falling into the trap that we fell into earlier in the season and thinking that the performances were definitely going to come because they were still getting results while not playing particularly well. And then obviously um, you see that you can only really push that so far um, before the luck starts to go the other way and you do lose games. So I would certainly not be sweeping things under the carpet, but I just think in terms of the progression that we've seen in really the scrum um, with Stephen Kitchoff, obviously massive there. Um the attacking rugby, the variation in the attacking rugby, the, I suppose, inventiveness of some of what they're doing compared to what we would have said was a lack of inventiveness last year. Um, I think these three games have uh, contained an awful lot that would make you think that they are building blocks. But... Even if to you know if they win the two games against Toulouse and Harlequins and play really badly, then well, I don't think it would be possible to do that really. <laughs> play really badly <laughs> against these teams like a beat, but um, it wouldn't be a case for me as it will not be all season. We've talked about this an awful lot of what we want to see in terms of steps forward. It wouldn't be a case where the result is the be all and uh, be all and end all, and you're just going to think. Um, that they've won, so everything's fine. The Connacht game was a little bit like that because the Connacht game wasn't the best performance, but it felt so important to get the results to build on the Racing game in terms of the confidence generated from the Racing game. Um, but what I would want to see, I suppose, is more evidence of that attack and variation, and variation being the key word, because it's not going to be a case of you go out again and you say, right, Billy Burns, kick... <laughs> three, three into people's arms and we'll score tries <laughs> off that. You know, the key to variation, and we saw that in the differences between what they did against Racing and then what they've done against other teams, is doing something different, doing something unexpected, being, I suppose, a team that are difficult to game plan against because you don't know what's going to come next. So give me a prediction then. I think Ulster are going to win. 
Now, I know I said they would beat Racing, but I feel <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was said without confidence. Um, I think Ulster are going to get a good result, and I don't necessarily know if they'll back it up the week after against Hardigans, but I think they'll get a good result and progress. A confident Jonathan, that's uh, it's a nice thing to see to start the new year. Uh, Maybe that's it. Maybe I just haven't been back long enough. I'm, I'm going to join you. I'm going to say that uh, Ulster are going to win. I'm not going to make a prediction on Quinns yet, like you, but uh, I'll say they'll win this week, and then we'll, we'll take next week as it comes. Well, this is it, because obviously if Ulster get beat, I might have to revise <laughs> my uh, my Quinns prediction, because then it'll become a very different, uh, a different type of game, I suppose. And it all depends on the... Cardiff result as well, you know, how, <laughs> how Cardiff are trying to uh, change things around. Toulouse are actually five-point favourites, which is uh, interesting for Ulster being at home, you know. Yeah. Well, you can see that game at 8 o'clock on Saturday night, Ulster taking on Toulouse. You can follow all the action on the Beltel Sports live blog, which will be on our website. You will also get the report from Johnny and all the reaction as well after what we hope will be a big win. Uh, but we'll see how things pan out. We will, of course, be back next week to look back at that Toulouse game ahead to Quinn's, maybe reviewing an Ireland squad announcement. We don't know when it's going to be, but uh, until then, we hope you enjoy your rugby, and we will see you then.